Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Man, wasn't it good to be able to put on a big jacket? And I saw a lot of you ladies have your boots on today, and that's, that's great. For you that have moved here, that was winter. It's over, and we're heading towards spring now. It's that fast. Uh, hey, I want to I do something right quick before we uh, open God's Word. Wasn't the worship just sweet today? I mean, man, it was so sweet. Uh, but I want to uh, recognize a um, uh, couple of groups today. One is if you are a veteran or uh, active in the service, or maybe you're the spouse uh, and, and your husband or wife has passed away and they were a veteran, would you stand just so we can honor you today? Uh, I would like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for your service uh, to our country, and, and uh, I never take for granted that the reason I am able uh, to come up here and freely declare the Word of God is because of the freedoms of our country, and so I never take that for granted. And uh, next, I want to recognize, uh, uh, I want to recognize the TAPS 3A Volleyball State Champions from uh, Round Rock Christian Academy. You girls stand that are here. You that are on the team stand. Yeah. 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 State, state champs. And they, yeah, back-to-back state champs at that. And so, uh, so, man. That's, that just fires me up. Uh, uh, that's incredible. Uh, next week, we, um, Pastor Jared, who is our young adults pastor, we are going to be, yeah, Alex, there. Uh, we, next week, we're going to be officially ordaining uh, Jared. And uh, at 6 o'clock, all of you are invited to come. We're going to have a service with worship and just some people are going to share thoughts about Jared and about the calling on his life. And that's going to be at 6 o'clock. But I want to back up. If any of you are ordained, uh, whether you were ordained as a deacon or elder or pastor or or whatever, we are going to have a 4 o'clock uh, Q&A time with Jared on the third floor. So if you're, I would love for you to come. We're going to nail his hide to the wall uh, with uh, questions that are there. But that's next week. Um, and so I want to encourage you to, uh, if you're an ordained person, to become uh, a part of that. And everybody's invited to the six o'clock service and then uh, the last thing, I always love to bring you current uh, on the church body in, in, uh, in different ways. But uh, now that the elections are over, thank goodness, uh, well, I realize there's still some runoffs to 
happened, but uh, you know, our central family, we had two uh, winners uh, in our central family this past uh, Tuesday. One was uh, uh, Congressman John Carter. Uh, John ran unopposed, so uh, when, I, when I voted early, I voted with uh, John and Erica, and he was breathing so easy, but knowing he was unopposed, and so uh, we are grateful for John. And then Caroline Harris. Uh, Caroline, uh, Caroline, stand up back there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Caroline uh, is many of your state reps now, and uh, if you want to, Caroline will be in the foyer if you wanted to <laughs> say anything to her afterwards. I voted for you. Caroline. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Uh, All right. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Exodus chapter 3. Last week, we began a brief series called For the Sake of the Call. And last week, we talked about Abram. And today, we're going to talk about Moses uh, in Exodus chapter 3. But let me set the plate for you before we uh, read God's Word. I don't know if you've ever felt like a failure. Uh, You know, most of the time, the reason I feel like a failure is I've failed. And uh, many times in life, when we come to that point of failure, we think we've done things that God cannot use us anymore. Thus, we just bench ourselves and we exist and we're just going to live life out, right? Right? Uh, I don't know what your failure that you may have gone through. Sometimes it's a job situation or you flunked out of college or, or uh, you had a marriage um, uh, go awry or you've had kids that have rebelled and, and you come to those times of just thinking, God, I, am, I just feel like a failure. There's no way you can use me. I'm just going to bench myself and, and come over here. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was blessed in that uh, God got a hold of my heart as a young man, and he revealed himself in just some miraculous ways to me. And, uh, and so I came to that point of saying, God, I'll follow you anywhere. And I, I sensed the calling into gospel ministry. And uh, yet, so I, I'm getting finishing the high school, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go to uh, Baylor University and be a religion major, and uh, that meant saying no to other things. That's what I was going to do, and so I was able to go to Baylor as a religion major. God, I'm going to change the world. You've called me to change the world. And uh, I, my first class at Baylor my freshman year is Old Testament. Here I am, a religion major, and so I'm taking Old Testament, right? I'm going to be prepared for everything. I'll never forget, the professor said, familiarize yourself with the dates in the book. Now, familiarize, that's a subjective term. He was much more objective than I was. And the test was mainly dates. And my first Old Testament test, called to the ministry, I failed royally. (laughs) 
I mean, I flunked it. I had to work the rest of the semester just to get that up to a B. So uh, that happened. And then um, I, also, I was 19 years old, and our youth pastor at the church we were attending came up to me and said, Mark, I would like to hear you to teach in our youth Sunday school department. I would like for you to teach 11th and 12th grade boys. Uh, you know, okay, God, you call me in the ministry. I, I'll say yes, and I'll do whatever. I'm 19 years old. These kids are 17 and 18, so uh, it's their peers, and here I am to teach them. I was already fumbling in this class, and then they did the uh, most scary thing I could ever imagine. They invited parents to come to the, their uh, uh, 11th and 12th grade Sunday school class. This is back in the day when you wore suits and ties and, and you really dressed up to the hilt. I, I, I kid you not, I literally sweat through a suit coat. I mean, I had rings under a sweet suit coat. And I was so scared and intimidated by those parents. I, I eventually went to our youth pastor and I said, I can't do this anymore. And uh, here I am, called of God, go into the ministry especially to love on students, and I felt like I had failed royally. I, I just felt like, man, God, you, maybe you made a mistake here in, uh, in calling, in your calling. Moses felt like a failure. Moses, at, by the time he was 40 years old, he felt like a royal failure. He had been born an Israelite, you may remember, he was put in a basket as a child, and he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Pharaoh's house. He was educated and refined to lead. In other words, he was man's man. He was created to be man's man. But we know that he killed an Egyptian who the Egyptian had been coming harsh on the Israeli, uh, Israelites, and so he killed that Egyptian and then he finds out that he's a fugitive on the run. And so at the age of 40, he's taking off from this silver spoon in his mouth experience. He's headed to the uh, desert of Midian, and he's going to be there. And he's at the age of 40, and he says, I failed. And uh, he finds himself watching sheep in a strange, barren land, doing the same thing Every day, no dreams, no ambitions, no rights. He's 80 years old at this point where we're going to pick it up in the story. So for 40 years, he was man's man. And the next 40 years, he's going to be nobody's man. Nobody cares. Nobody to lead but sheep. He's 80 years old. He's either waiting for retirement or death, whichever will come first. He thought he was all alone, oh, but God. God was watching and training and developing his character in this once arrogant young man. I want you to know, Moses was in a silent time here. He was in the desert of Midian. I want you to know that in the silent times, God is still at work. Some of you need to know that today because you're looking for the fireworks in the sky. You're looking for God just right in the sky. 
and he seems to be silent, I want you to know you can hang on to the fact he is still at work in the silent times. Exodus chapter 3, I want to read verses 1 through 12, and you can follow along on your device, in your Bible, or on the screen. And this is what it says. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prizites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt You shall serve God on this mountain. Now, this happens. This happens. And the rest of the story, Moses is going to make up excuses on why he can't come. And you may be familiar with the story. Even those that don't come to church, when they hear the story of the burning bush, they know uh, what's in there. But what I want to do is I want to practically, the Word of God is so practical, but I, I want you to know, first of all, God still speaks today, and God is still calling today. He's calling young people, just like he called me as a 16-year-old kid. He's calling uh, men and women. He's calling boys and girls. He's calling, and how will we respond? But I want to unpack some truths in this text. The first truth is this. God hears the cries of his people. God hears the cries of his people. He, he said in verse 7, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. Listen, I want you to know that whatever you're going through, 
wherever you might be, God hears your cry. He hears your cry. He, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He has an incredible love for his people. And when we cry out, he sets a plan in motion. But often that plan has many moving parts, often including waiting for a Moses to answer the call. In other words, when you cry out, God responds, but he is seeing the big picture. And what he is doing is he is putting many moving parts together so that he will be brought the most glory. Now, over here on 620, there's some road construction going on. If you missed it, uh, it's been going on, and it will go on for the next couple of years, so you won't miss it. But it's not like one day they thought, hey, let's put an overpass over the train tracks. Everybody get a shovel, and let's just go start digging. That's not what happened. You had architects, you had engineers, you had people who could see the big picture. You had the environmentalists that came in and checked the soil. You had, uh, and now all the moving parts, you have the uh, asphalt guys and the concrete guys and the uh, everything else kind of guys. And, and what they're doing is they're working together to construct what eventually, I think, is going to be a great plus for the city of Round Rock. But it did not start just by getting shovels. There was an architect behind everything that is taking place. I want you to know that when we cry out, we have a redeeming God who is setting things in motion, but he is using all the moving parts. I want you to hear that because Moses was just a part of the kingdom response that was being set up. So God hears the cries of his people. Let me make one more point out of that. He hears your cry no matter where you are. You may be on your sickbed. You may be in a far country like the prodigal son. You may be in a, a jail cell like Paul and Silas at midnight. You may be uh, any... You may be in a dead-end job. You may be, you know what I'm saying. God hears your cry. And he has not abandoned you. Point number two is this. When God speaks, he speaks with a purpose. When God speaks, he speaks with a purpose. Now, for us as, as human beings, we have what's called small talk, Right? How you doing? Fine. Uh, you know, we talk about sports. We talk about our kids. We talk about the weather. We talk small talk. We, you, you don't get too deep. I, God's not into small talk. I, I mean, he's, he, he's not going to ask you, hey, how you doing today? Uh, fine. No, he knows deep down. He knows what's going on. But when he speaks, he speaks with a purpose. And it's redemptive purpose. It's really not about Moses. It's about a redemption of mankind that God is doing. And he is setting up a people that Moses is going to be obedient. He's going to go down there. The children of Israel are going to come out. They're going to go to this promised land. Out of that promised land, from the tribe of Judah, 
a, a baby is going to be born who's going to be the savior of the world. And so Moses is not the question here. The question is, what about the redemptive plan of God? And notice what it says in verse 8. God is speaking. He said, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. There's twofold what God is doing here. He said, I've come down to deliver them and to bring them up. To deliver them and to bring them up. In Hebrews chapter 1, let me just read it to you right quick. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So ultimately, Jesus came and God spoke through Jesus. He, he revealed God to all of mankind. So why did Jesus come? He came just like God came to deliver and to bring up. God came to Moses so that the people could be delivered out of slavery and brought into a new land. Not just to come out of slavery. See, Jesus came to deliver you from slavery to sin, but to bring you up into a new life in Jesus Christ. Many have experienced the release of the slavery, but you haven't allowed the Spirit of God to bring you up. And so, so what we find is an immaturity in our faith. Yes, when God comes back, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, but what about the full life he intends for you to, to live? See, God, when he speaks, he speaks with a redemptive purpose in mind. And Jesus is that ultimate revelation of God that came down to deliver and to bring up. Amen? That's why Jesus came. Here's the third point. God is involved in everyday occurrences. Now, I know you think you set your calendar. You get up at the same time every morning probably. I don't know what your routine is. You may go to work, you go, go to school, eat lunch, you go through your afternoon into the evening, maybe you go to bed at the same time. I don't know what your routine is. And, and it may be really boring. You may find yourself in traffic all the time. you going through this, uh, uh, whatever it is that you go through. But I want you to know that God is involved and uses everyday occurrences. God doesn't need a special emphasis he is just looking for individuals to go out where bushes are still burning. God can use the ordinary, everyday things of life to call us out. If you're looking, if you're looking, you may be clocking in your 8 to 5, but God can use your routine of life and He may surprise you. He may use it to get your attention, but the question is, will you listen? See, so often we just endure life instead of seeing that life is a journey with a God who loves us immensely. 
And so if we could every day just open our eyes, God, how, how are you going to use this occurrence today? How are you going to use my routine today? God, you know i got to go to work. i got to do, i got to go to school. i got to do whatever. God, how are you going to surprise me in this day? Here's the fourth point. God can make the ordinary holy, sacred, and set apart for His plan. Let me read that one more time. God can make the ordinary holy, sacred, and set apart for His plan. He, he's great about taking the ordinary and making it holy. I do not know all of the details. I do not know what day of the week it was for Moses. Maybe it was uh, a Monday. Everybody hates Monday. And so maybe it was a Monday. Maybe it was hump day. It was midweek. Maybe it was Wednesday. Maybe it was a Sunday. He can get Chick-fil-A. He's having to work out there uh, with his sheep. I do not know what the day was, but I do know that God had set apart that day and he made it holy. God can take days and he can set apart and make them holy. This was an ordinary, routine day, yet God chose that day to make it holy. And then the bush. This bush, many say it was acacia bush. It was a, a, fly, a, a bush with many leaves on it, and it was just an ordinary, plain, run-of-the-mill, one-of-a-thousand bushes that were out there until God chose that bush to use it. God can take the ordinary and make it holy. What about the ground? It's just dirt and rock. Moses knew it well. It's just dirt and rock. Yet God says, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. The place you are standing is holy ground. What made it holy? Moses? No. The fire? No. God made it holy. And he's saying, this ground is holy because my presence is here. And I do not want even the leather of your soul to separate you from me at this point. And it's a holy ground. What about Moses? He's just a man. I don't know how many billions of people were on the planet at, at that time, or millions, but Moses was just a man. And he was a man that God chose. Did he, what made him special? What made him special and holy and set apart was God's presence in his life. Where am I going with this? I'm going with this. Many of you think you're ordinary in this place. Many think I'm an ordinary person. I've got no real talents. We're scraping by to make it day in and day out. We'll live in an ordinary street, drive ordinary cars. I've had an ordinary job. My kids are ordinary. Uh, everything about it is ordinary. I want you to know that God can take the ordinary and make it holy and set it apart for His work. In fact, the bush has some symbolism in it. It's a bush that's burning, and it's not being consumed. And uh, it got Moses' attention. It would get my attention. There's, most commentators believe there are two incredible thoughts here. One is that 
the fire represents the presence of God. We, when we use scripture, we see his holy fire, and the fire comes, and it represents the presence of God. But the bush also represents Moses. And that what the bush is, the bush is just existing. The fire is burning and not consuming the bush. And so what God is getting across to Moses is, Moses, I'm going to use you, and it's going to be my fire that's flowing out of you, and you will not be consumed, but it's that fire burning forth from you. And so when God shows up, the ordinary becomes holy, even you and me. I want you to know that God, in his creativity, made every one of us. Now, I'm not into every snowflake is different and it fingerprints. I'm, I'm not quite into that feel-good, fuzzy kind of stuff. But I do know that God uniquely created you for a purpose. And he can take that ordinary and make it holy and usable. The last point I want to make is this. God fulfills his word by his presence. God fulfills his word by his presence. Notice what it says in verse 12. He said, I will be with you. You see, it wasn't Moses. I want you to take the garbage out and I want you to go down to Egypt. And I want you to confront Pharaoh, confront the elders and say, we're leaving and come back here and let me know how it works out. That's not what God does. God says, listen, Moses, I know you're going to make excuses, but this is really not about you. It's about me. And so I'm going to go with you. My presence is going to go with you. I think that God is not looking for our ability as much as our availability. He, he's the one that does it. He's just looking for conduits to use. He will fulfill His plan. He just wants to use us so that we can fulfill what we were created for. God fulfills His Word by His presence. You know, Moses... Rest of the story, in chapter 3, Moses makes up excuses. Eventually, though, he's going to go. And he's going to go, and the children of Israel are going to be released. The death of the firstborn is going to be the final sign. They are going to uh, be released. And uh, what Moses, uh, he's going to be their leader. We know eventually they're going to wander in the wilderness and and those kind of things. But I want to show you how much Moses changed from that encounter with God until Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 13 through 15, I want to read to you. It says, Now therefore, Moses is speaking, If I have found favor in your sight, God, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. 
Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, Moses said to God, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. God, if you're not going with us, I don't want to go. I don't want to go anywhere, God. I don't, I don't want to breathe. I, I don't want to step out if you're not going with us. And Moses so radically transformed. This once arrogant man who was man's man, God had to groom until he was 80 and turn him in to nobody's man so that he could become God's man. And I don't know some of you are uh, later in life and you're thinking, okay, can God use me? God used Moses at 80. He was going to live to 120, so some of you still got time. But God wants to take you at a man's man, and he may have to break you down to nobody's man to turn you into God's man. Mendelssohn, the great composer, visited a village in Germany that had a cathedral that had a new organ there. He wanted to go see the new organ. And he goes in there, and there's a keeper of the organ. And the man doesn't know who he is. And, and Mendelssohn says, do you mind if I play the organ? And the keeper of the organ said, there's no way you can play this organ. And Mendelssohn Puts his head down and looks back at him and he said, uh, I'd really love to play this organ. And uh, the keeper of the organ said, you don't realize how much this costs. There's no way we can let you play it. Mendelssohn was going to leave, but he turned around one more time and he says, I really just want to play the organ. The man gave in and he said, okay, play well, Mendelssohn sits down at the organ and he plays incredibly. He just plays and, and uh, the, uh, the uh, keeper of the organ understands and realizes all of a sudden that this is Mendelssohn, the great composer. And he tells him, he said, basically, if you'd have told me who you were at first, it would have saved us this conversation. You see, we have a God that wants to indwell us. And he's waiting for us to take the reins and hand them over to him. Because we think we're like Moses. We're man's man. I can do it. God has to strip us down to we're nobody's man until he can finally use us as God's man. 